Yeah, what's up, people? Episode four, we're here, Young and the Reckless Podcast. This is Matt M, huh? We're here with. Hi, I'm Luke. I'm Justice. And we have a special guest today, um, Pascal oh. Divilis. Hi. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, my name's Pascal. Um, I'm a journalism student. I'm hopefully in my last year. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter Toronto. Yeah. Jeez, 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 jeez. <laughs> so yeah, so she's gonna have some very cool insight. And if you guys have been listening to our past episodes, you can probably tell that her commentary will probably go perfectly with the type of stuff that we like to talk about on here. I hope so. Uh, yeah. So yeah, let's get into it. Um, one of the, I guess, like the biggest points of conversation this week, 100 percent, would be the whole um, women's march situation. Yeah. Um, how'd you guys feel about that when you were watching it, like watching it on TV and all that? Don't have TV, you know. And don't have TV. I don't have TV, don't have you TV know. Either. And I don't. What? I don't. Real talk. Okay, I just. Well, I, 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 I relied on like I. I did rely on Twitter a little bit, you know. And um, I. I don't. I'm, I don't know too much about it, man. Like I just. Just from the briefing we had about like. Yeah, we talked a little bit before we went to air. Yeah, like how it was named the Million Women's March. I don't rate that at all. Like, yeah. So basically, zero zero ratings. Do you want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah. yeah essentially. Sorry. Sorry, sorry, oh, so essentially, Trump got elected, um, and then white women were outraged, and they decided to <laughs> form this this <laughs> march and named it like the Million Women's March, mm-hmm. um, completely co-opting the Million uh, Man's March that was like done um, decades ago um, in protest of police brutality, you know, and like that's white women to a T, yeah. to a T, to a T, just taking and co-opting, um, and like I didn't go, no one I know went. It just looked the oh, same there was some. There was something happening in, in yeah, Toronto? Yeah, yeah. There was, was one. 60, massi- yeah, it was massive in Toronto. 60, Where was it? In city, city Hall. Yeah. There's one in Hamilton. There was one in Winnipeg. Oh, really? Like, it was massive. Yeah, it was. It was big. really, really massive. Like, 60,000 people. Yeah, 60,000 people marching in downtown Toronto. Downtown Toronto. Man, Park to Nithmo Square. The entire thing just bugs like, me, to be honest. Like, now y'all marching. Like, we spent an entire year watching people get shot and killed, and you didn't march exactly. then. But here we are. Yeah, so that that was one of the points of conversation. Um... A lot of this too. So there was a like a Times article I was reading today about how the march opened up what's called uh, Mar- Women's March on Washington opens contentious dialogues about race, and talking about how um, because like we know that we exist in like a Facebook culture and like a social media culture, right? Like when mm-hmm. something happens, everybody hits social media and their opinions go crazy. Everybody has an opinion on whatever's going on. So a lot of women and women of color in particular were talking about how they needed to make sure that this space was for everyone mm-hmm. and that they needed to make sure that they felt safe in the space and intersectionality would be a big point of conversation and something that people would pay attention to. And But the more that they brought those conversations up, the more um, white women that couldn't really understand or, or sort of empathize with that position sort of felt turned off to the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like the more that they were speaking about, they needed to feel safe as black women or as Indian women or as Muslim women or mm-hmm. whatever marginalized community sort of exists in that subgroup, um, white women were getting more and more turned off to the whole thing, right? Mm. They didn't want to have to speak about race because it was supposed to be, this is for all women, right? Mm. We're fighting for all women, all women, all women, even though history has shown time and time again that like that just hasn't really been the case. Mm. Um, so yeah, like I'm interested, how do you feel about that? You're, you're really the only white guy we have in the room, so yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely a tricky topic and I've experienced kind of the similar thing, um, just kind of like a good example is with the rise of kind of like the BLM movement like me as a white guy, I'm like I have a lot of trepidation about how to kind of effectively show support or not show support. 
because at this like at, at a certain point like I agree with a lot of things that are said but I don't want to come off disingenuous like I don't know how to how to kind of approach the situation in a way where I would be accepted not as um, someone trying to come in and they don't understand the movement or they don't understand the ideas behind it but like coming in from a from a honest place I feel like that's that's a struggle for a lot of people it's because like they see a movement and they generally agree with it but they don't want to come off as disingenuous by showing support in ways that that otherwise wouldn't be. But if you show support, like all you really what support looks like, especially like I'm speaking specifically like to the BLM movement, yeah. like what support looks like is literally just showing up. Like literally, it's as simple. It's as it's as simple as that. It's just coming in and being in the space, like realizing and listening to the people who are talking and re- listening to their experiences. Cause they're so different than your experiences, than my experiences, mm-hmm. and just being there, right? Like that's what support looks like. And I think that's why sp- it's like specifically women of color were cheese because it's like we didn't see y'all support throughout this entire past few years like there have been marches happening like literally like almost every day in places in the states right but like they weren't there then but they had this massive rally Mm -hmm. because they they felt threatened and like that's a real thing for sure but like we've been feeling threatened for so x amount of years x Mm -hmm. amount of months you know what i mean and just that seemed disingenuous because it's like okay but you can show up for this but you can't show up for all of these other people that have been saying very 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 similar things Mm-hmm. Yeah, and too, there's particularly in like the feminist movement too. One of the biggest marches, I forget what it's called, but it was in 1913. Um, like black women were particularly told that they had to, to like march in the back of the in the back of the whole parade or in the back of the protest. Like they couldn't be seen at the front. They didn't want black women to be seen as champions or leaders of the movement. And like even like the whole idea of black women even being able to participate in these sort of things is a pretty new thing. But also like I understand what you're saying because. Especially as someone, like, I think you have, we talked last week about it, like, you have a sort of, like, unique understanding about these things. I don't think you rep- represent, like, the average white guy. Like, you've grown up with a lot of, like, mostly black kids. You have black people in your family, so you have a unique understanding. You're 16 like, black, bro. Yeah, and you have, like, a sensitivity to the issue as a result, I think. But, like, obviously, if we look historically, there, there have been moments in time where black movement leaders and things have told white people like yo we don't want you involved you know what i mean mm. and that that's 100 percent happened and that's 100 percent to me been appropriate in that time mm-hmm. and but then that, that's like but that's you that's listening that's what i'm talking about like just listen right yeah, like, yeah. a movement's like oh you don't want you at this specific thing then it's like okay cool i can like there are other ways to support whether it be financially or you know talking to you, your racist uncle or whatever like that support as well but if they're like yo just come to a rally that's support as well so it's just like it's just it's a lot of it honestly it's just about listening yeah so how have you seen I hope, do you mind if we talk about blmto a little bit yeah yeah we can okay um so how have you seen the sort of response because as somebody from the outside looking into mm-hmm. it um the only thing that's really bothered me and like i'm also like constantly trying to sort of toe the line between like i really support what you guys do and stuff but i have to toe a line between like going crazy for it and then sort of like keeping in mind a conflict of interest on my end because yeah because it's 150,000 percent something i support and something that i'm mm-hmm. there for and something that i want to ride for all the time but it's like, if I'm too far on the front lines, then one, I show my hand so everybody knows yeah. the, exactly the way I feel about things. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just being a journalist, and you being a journalist as well, but sort of just like the way that I want, like that where I see myself in 10 years is an obvious supporter of these exact sort of movements. Um, but yeah, for me, it's been sort of difficult. And then not being directly involved and having to sit back and watch um, our sort of mainstream media propagate these mm-hmm. caricatures of what it means to be black and... Mm-hmm sort of delegating everything that's black to BLM Toronto, mm-hmm. no matter what happens. If mm-hmm. if I 
And very much in the same way that it happens in the U.S., right? Like, we saw three black kids in the United States. I don't know if you guys saw this. In, in, in Chicago, what is it? Three or four uh, black kids that kidnapped that white guy. And, like, two of them, I think. Yeah, There's and they were, like, beating him up and yeah. saying black oh, power on, and all this shit. Yeah. 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 And they're saying black lives matter This is your fault. This is your fault. You deal with it. Anything bad that happens in the black community automatically gets delegated to the black lives matter sort of group. And mm. I find that ridiculous. And I see that it's something that's happening in Canada right now. Mm. When we see it, and the way that they come for you guys, like, yeah, yo, it's yeah. crazy. Same, same tactics are being used. You know? Yeah, like, it's very much. It may be, like, a less exaggerated version, right? Mm-hmm. But we can recognize it. Like, how many positive stories do we see about Black Lives Matter in the media? Media is fucked up. Yeah. Like, honestly, right. like, and I think throughout this entire process, what we realized that, like, is that if we're not creating our own media, media narratives and if we're not being um, on the objective, like, they will do whatever they want with us. And yeah. they have people thinking, people in our community thinking certain things about us because of the way that they are portraying things, right? Um, When we first started two years ago, our very first action was for um, Mike Brown. And his family had been like, yo, wherever you're at, whatever happens with this verdict, like, people just do things, right? Um, and, like, it was such a painful time for, for so many of us. Like, the first time that we we even linked up, um, we found out this verdict on a Monday. We linked up at, like, 9 o'clock because we found out at, like, 7 or 8. Yeah. And, like, for the first, like, three hours, we just bawled our eyes out, right? Like, mm-hmm. it was something that, like, it, it it's, it's such a guttural reaction. Like, that pain is so real. Yeah. Right. Um, And in that space, we decided that, like, okay, like, we really want black people to be able to have a space to heal and to cry and to have that space. So we're like, you know what? Everyone else who is not black, please don't speak to media. Come, come through, come support, come donate, come chant with us. But just don't speak to media because this is somebody in our community that has passed. And we want to be able to say what we want to say. And the media ripped us apart. Like, literally, there are, like mediums and papers that have never covered us at all and that's the only piece they have ever written Mm -hmm. about us in two years of existence right um and we just hit pieces sorry just hit pieces literally um and media really didn't really take us seriously and uh in in turn like politicians didn't really take us seriously we were addressing them or saying things about them they like were like who 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 the fuck are these people why do they matter um and it wasn't until Last summer or two summers ago, uh, Andrew Loku uh, was a black guy living in, in in Toronto, living in England and West, like little Jamaica hood, oh, and yeah, that, yeah. and um, living in a living in a place that's that's uh, issued by Cam H for people with living with mental health issues. Yeah. Um, when he was shot inside of his house, right, um, and that actually this actually happened. Yeah, two summers ago, Andrew Loku, look up his name. And an unfortunate response to it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were, well, the black community again felt sort of failed by the, I don't even want to know if we want to go into like the SIU route, but failed by like politicians. Nobody talked about it. It was yeah. nothing yeah, that Yeah, I know. Yeah. I haven't even yeah. heard of it. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And I'd say most so that black just, Canadians that's just a representation. Mm-hmm. really unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, even still, like, in, in, in different instances when we've been trying to do things to draw attention to what's happening to people like Andrew Loku or Jermaine Carby who have been killed by police in our in our, in our city or just talking about what it is like to be a black person in this city and the surveillance we may feel um, and and getting targeted and all of that like people will try the media instead will try to talk about us personally or mm-hmm. try to you know pick us apart in our individual thoughts or, or whatever and we're like this is a bigger issue it's bigger than me it's bigger than the 10 of us yeah. who sit around the table but it's like something that people are facing in this community and all we're trying to do is elevate those voices Mm -hmm. and the same thing too that i think should be paid attention to a little bit though like on our part so this is something that like i know and acknowledge right like i've known this since i was a little kid 
I've known this more recently since I really started like studying this stuff mm-hmm. through and throughout, right? Like, um, this is something that the media has done since really yeah. the beginning of the sort of Western culture that we see here, right? right. So every black leader and every black organization and every black yeah. movement that has ever existed, right? They nitpick them, they pick them apart. Instead of concentrating on the issues, they sort of do these ad hominem attacks or they attack you personally. Yeah. There's something mm-hmm. about you, something you said in the past, something you participate in, mm-hmm. something you may re- represent or something that may confuse people, right? Mm-hmm. With Malcolm X, it was the whole, where does the X come from? What's your mm-hmm. real last name? Yeah. Or it was the whole, um, what, what was your dad's last name? It was the whole, were you once a criminal? It was the whole, like, always personal, never about... And painting him as this, vi- this violent person. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the other thing. Any sort of black freedom fighter Jeez, or Do- black Donald liberator Trump, or sort of... Me of Donald Trump with Obama, like, are you yeah, a citizen? Yeah. Like, are, like, all this, you're a Muslim and shit like that. They this even is... tried to make Barack Obama seem violent. And yeah, that's the most did. passive black leader that there has ever been. Uh-huh. I don't even know if I want to call him a black leader necessarily. Because, like, I understand and empathize with him as a president. He has to be sort of a leader of all people, and that, that's what he said himself. And a lot of people feel let down by that, which I feel too. But black leaders in particular and black movements in particular always painted as violent, mm-hmm. no matter if they're passive or resistant. We saw mm-hmm. Martin Luther... Like, let's not forget, Malcolm X died at 40 years old. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther King died at 40 years old. Mm-hmm. Or 38, 39, 40 years old. In, in that ballpark. Both of them didn't see past 40, right? No matter how, this girl's taking fucking photos in the back, man. But, yo, I would do that right now. Yeah, so no matter what it was, right? One is more passive, even though I'd, I'd sort of contend with the idea that Martin Luther King is a passive figure. But they were both treated the same way. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther King was trying to bring people together, and he was, he had dogs on him. He had yeah. people spraying water at him. He was he shot. Was, he was arrested, yeah. Arrested and he numerous, was, numerous and he was murdered he publicly was murdered. in the same way that mm-hmm. Malcolm X was, mm-hmm. right? So I don't think it really even matters about... Yeah. what you believe or your strategy or the way that you want to bring together or sort of organize black people to yeah. uh, to sort of seek and find equity yeah. and equality, just the fact that you're doing that is enough. Is enough yeah. Because if they see your skin as a weapon, like if your skin yeah. is the thing that's weaponized, hey, from that I point on, that you're kind of fucked. Exactly. So what? And so what they end up doing to people like us who are like black journalists, they're like, pick. <clears throat> Yeah. Pick, pick what you're gonna do. Either yeah. you're a journalist or you're gonna talk about black issues, but doing it both. Like I've had I've literally had profs tell me that like, you know, you can't really be doing this activism thing and trying to be a journalist. Like straight up to my face. I'm like, yeah. those are people who are thinking straight that they're they're helping me, right? And I'm like, but why not? Because but it's because they don't expect you um to tell your own stories and to have yeah. those tools to want to tell your own stories. And but it's hard for them to see outside of sorry about that. Mm, it's hard for them to see outside of like traditional media. Yeah. Because it may have been something that we haven't seen in the past. Because they're old, the lie. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, like but it. their whole thing is, like, they think that <laughs> everybody from this school, and me and Pascal are speaking because we go to this school of journalism at Ryerson, where we are right now. Shout out to Ryan. But, up. yeah, so, because their whole thing is, like, yo, we're going to go to school, we're going to get a job at some sort of big... Uh, Toronto Star, CTV. Yeah, 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 like some big legacy media <laughs> company, and we're going to have to work under them. And they may not want to see our affiliation with these sort of organizations, right? But who's to say that somebody from the school isn't going to start their own thing up that may grow bigger than all of this shit? Who's to say that somebody here may not have their own voice that may outgrow this whole institution, right? They're sort of like priming us to fit under this whole like traditional media landscape. Like, do you think that um, like your kind of political background has a chance to influence like your journalism, your writing in a way that um, like isn't central to the me- like? So yeah, I feel like it, there's like a, there's an opportunity for when you're writing, you have a lot of like political leanings and stuff when you're writing in, I guess, for organizations that you might not want to write for. Yeah. But if you are showing support in your private life massively, that's gonna come through in your writing. Mm-hmm. And if you're and if you're if you're you take that. like sending it out 
um, to the public as kind of like objective reporting and people are reading it not knowing that this is being colored by right or wrong if it's being and that's probably not a good word it's being colored by um, like your political leanings in your private life and they don't know that I think that's problematic because they could be reading the news saying this is what happened this isn't this is like a very well-known institution this is what this reporter is saying not knowing yeah. that the backstory runs way deeper than just like taking notes objective reporting like this is like one of the biggest myths of journalism is that like journalism is objective. There is no such thing as objective objective journalism I know, I at all. You know that. what I mean? And and like you have people who are like sitting on like Fox News and like saying such blasphemous things and like they also fuckery. come like literally fuckery. fuckery like literally fuckery, right? I think that if there's a level of honesty, like I can I can do the work that I am doing and tell my own stories and just be honest about it and just be like, oh yeah, like I'm one of the organizers. So this is what this is like from our perspective. Yeah. Rather than hearing from this like quote unquote and like the biggest quotes of life objective media source that is trying to tell my story for me without ever actually knowing like speaking to you you know like ever really speaking to you at all or knowing what it go what goes into this to be able to like do what we do day in and day out and still write about it yeah and two to say like that's why i sort of opened up with saying that i like while i support really i support any movement of any marginalized group trying to fight for it justice or injustice or trying to push equality and equity always i will always right it's just in and we spoke about this in our second part yeah. like we're naturally i find myself on the side of like revolution or on the side of people trying to push up and trying to fight for what they need in life right but i also understand how the sort of way i want to go like i speak sort of out against traditional journalism but that's really sort of what i'm trying to push at the end of the day or that's where i'm like i sort of see myself but going. Do, right? do you see like a problem inherent in um like in like your political leanings affecting because like it, that's fine if you want to write your own stuff and create your and create your own stuff like that's fine because those going. sources are very important. Yeah, I know where you're going. But but I think it, like there should still be kind of like a main channel or not a main channel but kind of a channel running right down the middle where they're just putting out putting out like facts as they see them because like when when I'm reading stuff um, I feel like it, if there if there's like the chance that your political leanings can influence your writing um, th- that creates kind of a, a cycle where like there, there's opportunity to kind of spin things and I think you see that with the mainstream media yeah. like certain organizations like Fox right they'll take a piece of news and then they have people the writers the people who are running the TV show and they have their own ideologies in their head mm-hmm. and they take that story the facts of it and they spin that mm-hmm. and then send it to the, to the public and that's why I think that on both sides it's important to try and stay but there's none that is like and it depends what you're trying to do because journalism, journalism isn't Objectivity is impossible. Is what you no, said. no, I'm not saying. No, 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 but, but I'm saying none that there, there is, there is no, there is no, no medium that is like, oh, I'm down the middle. I want to, I'm like. I mean, I'm he's saying to, to to create it though. I'm I'm saying? not saying I'm saying it's not going to be created, but oh. it's important. It's an important thing to strive for, especially when you're when you're when you're yeah. When, I'm like, saying it, it depends though, bro. That's all I'm saying. Like how some. Okay, this is there might be a shit analogy, but it's like everybody has different styles with the way that people do things, right? Like if you're like a traditional basketball coach, you might be like, yo. You need to be able to shoot. You need to be able to fucking make layups. You need to be able to pass, dribble. And then one dude comes in and just changes the whole shit up, right? LeBron comes, yeah, he can't right. shoot, just fucking dunking Dunks. on everybody. Completely shatters the institution, right? Yeah. So even in journalism, there are different ways. Like, we, we see opinion writers, people that are driven by opinion. Yeah. And people and I, seek I them out particularly yeah. for opinion, right? People that write columns. Absolutely. People that go on TV. And we have to remember that news, the media, is entertainment first. It's entertainment. Or entertainment tied with news and information. When you turn on the yeah, TV, uh, the reason you watch the <laughs> channel you watch is because it's entertaining, yeah, right? Yeah. 
if if you didn't care about entertainment, you'd just be reading shit on. You'd be you'd be on reading newspapers, kin- which nobody reads. Yeah, you'd be doing. You wouldn't <laughs> care about that. But people need entertainment value, right? That's why a Bill O'Reilly is so successful. Yeah. That's why Sean Hannity exists. That's why Fox exists. Rush Limbaugh, That's why CNN exists in the way. Yeah, because but also because those people, those people mm-hmm. also exist. Like those people who, like, like Bill O'Reilly is not a one-off. Oh, yeah, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he, yeah. th- there's a lot of people that believe and, and align themselves. Like, oh, can I just jump just in yeah. with a follow-up question? I think like the point that I was trying to drive at is that. Like from a person trying to look at it objectively, like myself, like I'm, I don't, I don't really read a lot of news. Like most of the coverage I've seen on BLM has been through like the major, the major sites or whatever. And the problem for me is, is that I'm not, I'm getting, I'm getting journalism from two sides of the spectrum, being like the left or the right. And I feel like they're both, they're both spinning it their own way. So I'm getting information from this side, and then my thought is that. This is how, like, this is the main tenets of that belief. And sometimes it's not, right? People are just spending Almost it. Almost always it's not. And it's super, it's super confusing when, when it's hard to tell because it's a, when it's a gray area between people striving for, like, being objective in journalism and people who, people who are letting it, it leak in. And I know it, it's possible. It happens absolutely. But it's confusing for people from the outside looking in because they're not, because you can't tell whether or not, like this is this is politically motivated or not? Just most just consider is. everything you read yeah. as politically motivated. Like ninety nine percent. But yeah. but then but then isn't there the propensity to kind of spin things to fit your political narrative? I think then that the is. onus then falls on like the reader, the, the the reader to like formulate your own opinion, your own opinions, right? Like yeah. there is no. Like there is no, there is no objectivity. There's no central like medium that is that is completely neither side. They're owned by major corporations that that have they have political views, right? And so like the onus then is on the reader to like journalism is not the end all and be all to receive your information, right? Like it yeah. it, it really isn't. And so the onus then is like you can read all of this. I can read. I read. I read articles that are written about BLM, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, this is a complete new thing, or this is not actually even true, yeah. right? And like, I like that's a very simple solution because obviously I know what I am doing, but like, you have to formulate your own opinions. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. You don't even understand the yeah. amount of times that. So that's how that's how skewed the things that are writing are. You as a founder, you're reading it, and you're like, what? Yeah, there are things that are like literally like way off or like very obvious that you're trying to like paint some type type of picture or like you know what I mean like strip substance or or yeah. or, so, or something like that. And do you see too, or do you tend to notice that? Because um, I've seen like a few of the interviews that people have done from BLM, right? And do you see that there sort of is a um, uh, or sort of like when you guys go on TV, they're sort of looking for a gotcha moment, like they're asking you questions because they're trying to Trap. they're trying yeah, to corner sure, people, sure. and then yeah. they're gonna all jump on you because they know that they know what the public for wants sure. to hear, and they use like dog whistle language, yeah. where they'll say little things or they'll ask certain questions yeah. because they know that it'll ring in other people's ears, and 100. they know exactly what they want to hear, and then the public tends to jump directly onto it. All the papers pick it up. A hundred, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred, and hundred and fifty percent. How do you guys fight against that? Um, I think something that we've re- recently done that has worked really well is that like after everything happened with Pride, um, we last summer. We're the honored guests at Prague, Toronto, and we stopped the parade. Um, there was millions of people there. It was a big, it was actually a lot bigger than I thought I we anticipated. It was a little global. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, like, my parents were like, what's happening? They called me <laughs> after. Um, it was something that was, like, really, really, really big. And you had people, and what we were what we were trying to do is, like, we list out a list of demands. And it was everything from, like, 
ensuring that the parade is actually more accessible in in, in hiring like ASL interpreters to like trying to hire more black and indigenous people um, to like a, a bunch of things and the media focused on only one aspect of our demands on only one demand despite all of these things that we had listed out but also like it wasn't even just like the 10 of us that had listed out these are these are these are demands that people in the community that have been working with pride for decades have been asking for Anyways, um, the media tried to slaughter us, and we had to become like on the offensive and trying to create our own, our own, our own shit essentially. Um, and there was an AGM, like a general meeting for Pride, that happened a couple weeks ago, and we weren't even really there. They were trying to appoint new board members, and we weren't really there. Like a few of us was there, but we didn't like really plan that in. And the people who were at the meeting were like you know, how dare you not even try to talk about these demands when you know that this is the reason why everyone is here at this at this meeting. Yeah. Um and again, like the next day, like we saw media like try you know what I mean, try to do what they try to do. So essentially what I said in the beginning where they like denote anything or any cause that is for or pro blackness and they try to say that this was BLNTO even though you guys weren't necessarily there. It was it wasn't at at that specific AGM, they like they try to say a lot of things that like we tried to even if we, we weren't really, like, vocal in that space, they still say that we try to bully our way in or we try to bully these demands onto people. Um, and so something that we did is that, like, we, last week, we had a Facebook Live, and it was, like, a bunch of us uh, from the steering committee I, um, sitting sitting down together and going live on Facebook and being like, okay, so this is what it is, like, from our perspectives um, and answering questions as they're popping up and, and really, like, shifting the narrative and, and saying things from our own mouth. Um, it was one of the, like... It was massive. It like over six. I watched months. it too. So. Really? Yeah, I watched it. Thank you. How do you like it? I thought it was good. It was it was a good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are some good orators in your group. Some people that can really talk. Um. Yeah, and so like over six hundred thousand people viewed it within a night, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was it was it was big, right? But we we saw the fact that like oh we don't actually really need media like the way that they think that we need them. Mm-hmm. We can literally yeah. create these things on our own and people will come to you. And people will come to us cuz it's like it's not like it's not a topic. It's just something that is very it's it's like it affects so many people in this city and this country, right? Um and people are tuning in. Okay, so I I just have a, like a question or do you want to talk a little bit about like the police thing on Pride? I was gonna I was gonna follow up just just a question I want to ask earlier because we have been talking a lot about how how media has a has a tendency to kind of spin things and attack certain groups. What do you think the main misconceptions are that have been um, kind of perpetrated by the mainstream media when it comes to Black Lives Matter specifically? Like what kind of stuff do you see? And and furthermore, what kind of stuff um, do you see reflected in the population? So like they're soaking in this information. What kind of things are they saying? What are you hearing? That's like, a complete misconception. Resonated? Like, resonated? What what misconception? What are they, like? What have they got wrong essentially? Um, damn, that's a real good question. Because I was gonna, cause, and it's coming from the perspective of the my, the most of my, I would say, like all my interaction or at least kind of knowledge of Black Lives Matter has come through the internet, mm-hmm. and I don't watch a lot of CNN, but it's mostly been internet, and I go to the same sites, I do. and I don't I don't do a lot of searching and stuff, and so I haven't had like an actual person sit down and kind of and kind of weed out what the actual. Um, kind of tenants of the group are. Um, so I think it'd just be a good opportunity just to talk about like what, what the mainstream media is getting wrong and how do you think that's that's manifesting in, in people in the city? Yeah, I think, honestly, like it has to, we'd have to go by like action by action because like the things that people are saying change um, literally action by action. So our first action, people were saying that like we're segregationist because we, did, we asked white people not to speak to media and as if it was like this big, 
like white people request. that were participating in your guys' marches? Yeah. Okay. We were like, there's a bunch of media. Uh, Let us just have this opportunity to talk about ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if you're here to support, like, you shouldn't really need feel the need to 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 talk to media camera. to get on camera. And like, exploit that moment. Well, like when you came to that decision, were you worried about how no. some people might view this as not being inclusive? Nah, nah. No. I think for us, it was is we were thinking more of like black people really deserve an opportunity to to to, to talk to media and say this perspective. Like yeah. they really, really, really do uh, deserve it. And anyone who is here rocking with us the way that they say that they're rocking with us will understand it. And and a bunch of people did. People who are at our action, they were like, okay, move to the back. Let make sure that black people are able to be seen at the front. Let them talk to media and stuff like that. But it was obviously people who weren't like as genuine in their in their thoughts as they as as they said they were and, and media who will always try to pursue pursue per what's the word I'm looking for portray us as this like evilness um we'll try we'll try we'll try to do that and so like that's that's one thing that they've done they've you know said that we are bullies like I said after the yeah, Pride the whole March. bully narrative is the biggest one I think for, yeah to me personally. and that's the one that I ran into could, yeah. could you talk just about that and how yeah you know? I so yeah sorry go ahead no no um let me tell y'all how we came about being the honored guest for Pride. Pride Toronto first contacted BLM in the States to sorry, to be to be yeah. the honored guest. They didn't even realize there was a home chapter. And so yeah. the BLM in the States were like, you know that there's a chapter in, in your city, right? Like why are you even asking us? And so it was after that they were like, Oh shit, like okay, we're gonna we're gonna ask these people. We like the black and queer and trans community you can imagine is like tight knit, right? So people people know each other, and people people know of experiences that people who have been working in Pride that have had floats in Pride that have had stages in Pride have been um, treated by Pride Toronto, um, and so like we we met with community in a few different instances to be like, okay, so what do you want to come out of this? Because this isn't just about honoring the 10 of us. It's about honoring all of us, all of us who work who work here, or all of us mm-hmm. who do like, work for a community throughout the year. <clears throat> and this is where these demands came up. This is where these demands came up. And they had said that over the past few decades that they have tried so many different instances to try to get these things it, like through the door, everything from like meeting one on one with the entire meeting one on one with the ED to having town halls to doing this. ED is executive director. Yeah, the executive yeah. director. Um, they try so many different avenues, and it's, it's always like lip service or always like, yeah, okay, we're gonna right. go through with this, but never actually any 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 like right. anything no tuition. So the demands were kind of in response to like what you saw as just people kind of not caring and not really listening. So you yeah, thought, like, like if you came up with worth. these demands and you kind of set them in stone, put them on the table, they would have to make like a, a serious choice whether or not to support them or completely come out and say we're not going to do that. Yeah, and like for us it was like if you truly believe in an in inclusive pride like these should be easy for you to be like okay we're going to ensure that we hire more like black and indigenous people we're going to ensure that we have ASL interpreters that shouldn't be like hard hard things if you truly are trying to stand by the stance of like you can sit with us which is the theme of last year's pride yeah. mm-hmm. right? And so ironic. Hmm? It's so ironic. It's so ironic. It's so ironic. That was the literal theme of the whole thing, and then I got mad because of it. And, like, what the proprietor also didn't didn't realize is that, like, (coughs) anyways, like, they didn't, even in our experience with them, like, they still cheated us like shit, right? Like, they still, even though we were supposed to be this honored guest or whatever, they still, like, treated us how they usually treat black people that are in these spaces. Please? Pride Toronto Toronto. and the police and I can say that like anecdote later but like and like specifically like Pride Toronto Uh, but they want to but they still want the glory of being like okay but like look how inclusive we are we have Black Lives Matter like Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like we're not Mm -hmm. fools Mm -hmm. 
So you could see so, the, you could see the way that they're trying to kind of use you. Yeah, use, you think yeah. you were like a, a pawn in that? In, I think they tried to use us as pawns, and uh-huh. I think that they just like didn't realize like the connections that people have or we have. Mm. They didn't realize that like. Like <laughs> you can't really use this as fun. Like, and that's where the bully notion comes from, I think. I guess mm-hmm. I I guess so. Like I guess when like but also like if you're fight if you're fighting for a cause, if you're fighting for yourself, if you're fighting for your community, you're always gonna be seen as a bully. Yeah, to to, to 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 wanna stand back so, against Especially something. if you're black. Especially yeah, if you're black. Sure. If you're trying to stand back against some someone or some ones who are trying to keep you down, you're automatically gonna be seen as like this this The aggressor. The aggressor. And so this narrative of bully um, came out and like white queers specifically were like you know stop trying to in, in come into our community or stick to the black community or whatever and we're like but like there's black queer people yeah, there's black trans actually saying these things dead like, ass if you go in our comment sections if you go in pride's comment sections um, you see a bunch of these comments and I think also like pride just flip flop and they just kept flip flopping and they never could say anything um, like stable you know what I mean like even pride at the at the march they, they, the ED, the executive director, signed this thing, being like, "Okay, it's fine. We can, like, you know, we completely stand with these, with, with these demands." And then the next day, we're like, "No, we're not going to do this." And so, <laughs> like, literally, like the next day, and so we're like, "Okay, so on TV, on national TV, where millions of people watched, you sign this document. And the next day, you turn your back." Yeah. So we can only imagine how frustrating and how conversations have been like with people who have been trying to bring these things forward from from time. Um. Yeah, it was That's a shit hilarious. show. What do, what do you think, like, looking back in hindsight, is there anything that you think on your part, and obviously you representing Black Lives Matter, could have done better at the Pride um, at the Pride March? Like, differently, so there wasn't as much controversy, so, you, like, you could have got in better, you could have gained more ground. Was there anything that you saw that you were like, maybe in the future we'll try this a different route, or do you think it was... No. <laughs> Mostly because, like, we, like, at the AGM that just happened, we didn't, we were there, literally there just to attend. And it was people who felt so compelled by what we had done and what we had said that like overwhelmingly voted to support this. They brought it forward. They put it on the agenda when it wasn't on the agenda before. And they were like, we demand to discuss these demands. Like we we stand by this and we think that it's something that's right. And so for me, like that shows that we are not alone. It's not just like and it's not just like the ten of us or people who work with in the community um, that that like push this on people it's like there's a there's a wider range of people mm-hmm. who want to be in this yeah, yeah. All right, okay so just sort of jumping off that again um i think like the main point of contention it seemed to was the whole police floats thing obviously right yeah um have you heard about this C- you about could this? you just give a little backstory on on what that on what that demand was where it came from the demand was that there will not be any police floats um marching down the 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 parade route, right? Like, and because, sorry, sorry this is to give a little context. Like the police, police flows have like a lot of floats. Like this past year, they had like the highest number of floats that they've had in recent in recent history. When you guys were there, when we were there, yeah. ironically. Yeah. And let, let me tell you this: and they're in and they're in uniform. When they're in uniform, when they have their gun on them, they are on the clock. First of all, secondly, like. If for me, I'm like, how is this supposed to be an inclusive pride when you are bringing the very people that 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 violate us, that the harm most, us, that marginalize most, us yeah. the most, right? And it made no sense. I'm like, whatever security issues that you need to go through, okay, but you're not going to sit here and celebrate cops as if there's this ma- magnificent addition to the queer community, especially when police have been targeting the queer community for so, for so long. long. Isn't the protest itself like a sort of response to police, police brutality? Yeah, like that's yeah, yeah. that's the origin of pride, and so like it 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 that's so disingenuous. 
that's so disingenuous. And of course, amongst all ten demands that we had, like that's the only one that was picked out. That people were like, "Oh, you're 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 banning cops, you're whatever." Yeah, whatever. and two, I I just want to know, you guys are not saying that police can't necessarily go, or like if you happen to be a gay cop. No one's saying that you as a gay cop cannot go. You cannot attend. Mm-hmm. You're saying that we just don't want you celebrated in the parade with everyone mm-hmm. else. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly it. And like people, there's so many like organizations and communities that try to get floats and they actually there's not enough space for them. People yeah. who are doing like real work for queer and trans people in the community and there's not enough space. But also like Pride like they had us as an honor guest, but they didn't actually ever think about what it was gonna have to deal have to have to do in dealing with black people at the parade march. So they didn't they didn't take into consideration that we also were gonna be targeted. And that's something that happened to us at Pride, right? On Saturday. By police. By police. On uh, on the Saturday of Pride weekend, there was a community fair and every like a bunch of like organizations just have tables set up with like information. Mm-hmm. And so we we had a table there um, and one of our steering committee members was there and the police literally came up to him and was like, are you supposed to be here? What are you doing here? The famous question. Literally, like, <laughs> like I'm questioning. Sure, I'm sure we've all been... Uh, are you dumb? All, all day. day. <laughs> famous question. All, all day. And like, this is, and it's like, we're supposed to be this quote-unquote honor group. You can only imagine what's happening to all the other black people, black and queer and trans people, indigenous people that, that are attending pride, trying to feel a sense of celebration and, you know, actual pride in this. And that's, that's what they're being met, met with. Right, and so like mm-hmm. they didn't ever. When we're talking about like this happens, it happens. It happens often. It happened to us when we were there for four days, three days, sorry, and and we were targeted so quickly. We were seen as like you don't belong here, despite that. We're, despite the fact that we're like, no, we definitely belong here. We know what we're doing here, yeah. you know. You and like y'all know, guests. It's so funny. You guys were the honored guests, and they were still treating. Yeah, still, yeah. So you can only imagine what's happening to every other like random black person that's that's there. You yeah, can only do, ever imagine. Do you think that? Because my kind of conception of the the police at the at the parades prior to the Black Lives Matter incident was that it was mostly a positive force, um, like when it was something like the police engaging with that community and stuff like that. And especially when you consider it that the the ones participating probably aren't the ones that hold views counter to whatever movement they're supporting. But they but we would represent the same institution. The same institution, but who's to know? Also, but also like they make it's 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 good for some people. And that's what we kept saying. They're like, this is good for some people, but it's not good for all of us. And if this is truly supposed to be this inclusive place, like, wouldn't you want to feel, make the those of us who are in this community feel the most inclusive? But also just like, we can't pretend like the institution is is this queer-friendly place when just, what, yesterday, two days ago, on in, in the village, oh, on yeah. Church and Wellesley, somebody was getting beat by cops and getting comments that are like, insinuating that this person has HIV and maybe dis- or disclosing his status as HIV in the village, in the queer village, right? Like, we can't act like this entire institution is Is that what that was? Right d- over there? Dead ass. Dang. Dead ass in the village. Yeah, and so, like... it. I need to watch the news. Don't you think... On, do you think there's any potential... Like, because the way I see it is I think that if you're going to reform... Um, if you're going to reform kind of police in the, the system that they're operating under, that you're going to need to get rid of a lot of people, but you're also going to need to, um, like, keep a bunch of the good people that are in the police force. And don't you think that, that by trying to, by kicking them out off the parade, um, you're saying to the people that were supportive of Pride and the people that are supportive of Black Lives Matter that, like, you're kind of excluding them? Like, they're doing good, and in response to that, they're getting kicked out because they have 
um, they're operating with good intentions under a bad system. Like, can, can you can you take the what I'm essentially asking is, can you take the individuals out of the equation? Like, can you say it's okay for these guys to be here because they're clearly supporting us? But they can be there without being in uniform. Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you if you really it's it's what the it's what the uniform symbolizes. It's what having a gun on you symbolizes. That person that yelled that comment about that person as, as they were tackling him asking him and you know or saying that he has HIV HIV he could have very well marched in pride parade Mm -hmm. who's to know he very well could have right it doesn't mean it doesn't negate it Mm -hmm. you going to pride march doesn't negate you probably being very fun but I I think don't you think it's helpful that that people can kind of look at the parade and look at the coverage of the parade and see that there are police officers out there like they can readily um, identify them in uniform that do support these groups they're not like everyone is terrible not everyone is bad but not everyone feels goes, that way but like I don't think because the symbol can go both ways like you can see it in like registry or not, not for, you can see it but that's because you have the privilege of having it go both ways a lot of yeah. people don't have that privilege I don't know the police to be good like that's, yeah. that's the thing but right? could but wouldn't so if you if you know the police not to be good and then you see them um, parading in support of pride and black lives matter that wouldn't that wouldn't say no. there are some good police officers out there no it makes me think that this parade isn't actually for me because you didn't take into consideration that these people violate me and my community ev- like every, every day. day like daily i don't believe in a good cop bro dead ass i actually don't because good cops know who the bad cops are and it's like it's, it's also the entire institution yeah and, it's too, and like nothing to me like i don't think anything like if they could really do something within the institution like individuals themselves within that like the police force like okay. they but okay, right. so, so but if the got, assumption is if the assumption is that that it's it's you can't you can't like change the system from within. Isn't it still important to foster and support like, the good people in that system? The way to do it, the way to do it isn't to parade them down Main Street when there's a bunch of people that have been victimized by them for their whole lives mm-hmm. every day that live in constant fear and live in constant. But, but you said you could be there. In, you the said you could group. be there in plain clothes. So what, yeah. what's the difference between having cops showing support because of what they represent? Yeah. That's their uniform represents their institution, mm-hmm. and their institution is what's harming these communities. So by wearing that uniform, see, like their uniform, a lot of people like to make this correlation between the police uniform and black skin, or like the police uniform and marginalized groups, as if the police are some sort of like marginalized group, right? Mm-hmm. As if they can't take their uniform off another regular person, yeah. right? Black people can't take totally their skin yeah. off. These people are born black, right? Queer people can't all of, all of a sudden not be queer anymore. Or, or if you mm-hmm. if you're gay, you can't just not. You know what I mean? Like these are these are your identities. Police is a job. If you're a cop, that's a job. You clock out, you're a regular person again. All of this sort of you don't think they carry that with them? Not in the same way not that people way. carry black, black skin, skin, where you're born and people hate right. you because of the way that you look, and you're treated differently because of something that you couldn't change even if you wanted you want to. to. Police, yo, you can retire from that job, move a couple of towns down, and nobody knows you were ever a police officer if you don't tell them. I don't have that liberty. She doesn't have that liberty. No black person in Canada or the world has that liberty, or ever has or ever will. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's two very different struggles. So when somebody that has to live with these sort of issues every day of their life is telling a group that's paid by them to protect mm-hmm. them that, hey, I would just feel a little bit safer if you guys didn't parade with us, right? I'm sure you're a good person. You might be a good person. You're here. You might be a great person. I don't know. I don't know you personally. But I would rather if the institution that you represent wasn't parading with me in my one day when I'm supposed but, to be but, feeling free. But and don't accepted. you think that they're par- like if we assume that the system is is wrong and it's terrible, aren't they parading against that system? They're not no. though because they're wearing the uniform. But, they're just but representing. They're, but, but they're saying that like the, they're saying that we support 
we support these groups and these things that, that to a lot of people think that they run counter to. But they act different. That's what I'm saying. That's what, like, they act different. So, like, a, a uniform marched on uh, uh, the Pride Parade, but it was also a uniform that was seen, like, stating someone's HIV status, right? It was like, also a uniform was, asking yeah. them why they were there. there. It was also a uniform asking them if they were lost. It was also a uniform harassing them. But are we just lumping all of them into into one pool now? But it's, but it's the it's it's the institution, right? It's what you were taught from this this power and the power that exists is not a good power. It doesn't teach and like we can look at the history of policing like globally, you know, we can look at it like there's not a period of time where policing was was invented or introduced in genuine thought. They have always been introduced into societies as a way to either stop black slaves from running away or yeah. you know that's how, that's how the whole institution literally started they were slave catchers that, that's where the whole thing comes from so from and this is a conversation that we have from the day that this institution begun it was tainted mm-hmm. from, from the from day it begun from its inception yes and that's a poison that has never been addressed never been addressed yes we talk about mass incarceration Yes, we talk about how, the way that the KKK has... That? Oh, I'm fucking with this. Well, you got to flip the whole institution on its head. You got to flip the whole thing over. That's what? something that we haven't done. Like, what does that mean? Like, what? Like, and, like literally, like, it, it means reimagining a world where you don't have to count on people with guns to be able to protect other but people. Do you, do you think that's possible? Let me tell you an example. Really, like, really not quickly. In the utopia? Let yeah. me tell you, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a microcosm, but I think it can be a microcosm of what a society can look like. Doing, during this... Uh, last year, early last year, we held an occupation outside police headquarters for two and a half weeks. Or, yeah, ish. Um, and we were out there day and night, sun, rain, snow, sleet, ice, like, literally, like, two complete weeks out there. And during the the least amount of people, we were caring for about 30 to 35 people. And at the most, it was, like, hundreds in this space mm-hmm. outside. And it was everyone from people that we knew and loved and I was part of a community to people who were street involved and they were just coming in the street, coming from d- down the street um, and who just needed a, a warm place to sleep or, or dinner. And in that instance, there was a lot of things that happened, a lot of fucked up instances that happened. Like a lot what? of Sorry? Like what? Um, just like... Talk about like the whole tent thing. Didn't they like move all your guys' tents and shit? And yeah, like they, they ambushed us in, uh, one night, but like throughout the entire two week process, there was not a single time that we called the cops for anything. Despite so many things hitting level 10, we, you know, we had people on site that were like people that were, uh, uh, that could deal with anyone with mental health issues, that was having an emotional breakdown, that was happening, that, you know what I mean? That, that were specialized Ooh, for all of these things to be able to take care of people. And that's what happens when you set, you think, beforehand it's like okay there are people in our society that may need extra help in these all these different ways so let's set up those things already here so they can find it when they get here and two let's not pretend like there haven't been black institutions in the past historically that have said you know what yes the police exist and yes we know that they target us so let's take this on ourselves and let's police our own neighborhoods Mm -hmm. let's legislate ourselves yeah let's not pretend like that's not exactly what bobby seal and huey newton started right because that's the exact nature of the of the organization Mm -hmm. let's not pretend like all the black leaders that we idolize and romanticize that that wasn't their driving force you know what isn't that how like the bloods and crips started yeah, yeah. Because things, things like, get out of hand and there yeah, are obviously good and they, bad examples of it. Right. And, and, and a lot of these organizations are co-opted by the government yeah. and are co-opted by outside forces For sure. that come in, infiltrate something that originally started as For good, sure. mm-hmm. introduce things like drugs, drugs, introduce things like mass incarceration, right. and introduce things like Coincel Pro and something that was started out as a positive becomes an inherent yeah. negative. Yeah. Got like five minutes left. Um, yeah, so like these are things that have happened before. So maybe 
The answer might be that, yes, we can identify this institution as corrupt, right? And we know that we cannot depend on the, on them to accurately and actively work in our favor or on our behalf, right? Uh -huh. So we may have to manifest our own organizations that do that on our behalf until they're ready to work with us or, or until we get enough people that work at a high enough level so they can have some real influence on the, on the real decisions that are being made, right? And that's something that I think we need to start manifesting in kids when they're young. Like, yo, get to, get to a place in this world and in society where your voice has a real impact on policy. Because that's where changes are made. Or on lobbying. Or on the real decisions that are made in our democracy. On the policing union. If we had more people that could make it to these levels, and of course we know that they can't because the way that things are structured currently, we get the shit schools, we get the shit teachers... We have the shit hospitals in our neighborhoods. Yeah. We don't have proper food in the, way, in, in the places that we live. There are food deserts all over the place. And of course we know this. And in the United States, things like the introduction of drugs, again, destroys the neighborhood. So people can't make it to these levels. Sometimes, honestly, you don't even need to get to that level. You can just shut down a highway, anger a bunch of people until they have to make the change that you've been calling for. And then the number one thing that they're gonna do after you do that is call you a bully. Mm -hmm. And instead of realizing that that is your only option, right? Protest is, is the last expression of I need help, of help us. When you don't listen, you tell somebody something a hundred times, right? You tell me ten times, yo, please stop pushing me. Stop but, pushing me. But, please, hold on, hold on. Mm -hmm. please, please stop doing this. Please stop doing this. I don't listen. Eventually, you're going to punch me in the mouth. So I listen to you, right? Eventually. The funny thing is, historically, black people in the Western world are the only people, the only targeted group especially, that are expected to take that punch in the lip and then... Take it and then hug their yeah. the person that hits them and say, please, I want to work I with you. you. Who else does that? Does America do that? When America's bombed by the Japanese, what do they do? They go to war with Japan. But when black people do the same thing, they're bullies. This is the Western world. One, let's not pretend like violence isn't the ultimate expression of the Western world. Because anytime there's any sort of conflict, it is expressed through violence. It is expressed through numbers. And it is expressed through some sort of projection of violence every time, every issue, right? Mm -hmm. But when black people express the same anger and the same voice, mm -hmm. they're seen as bullies. But right or wrong, whether it's bullying or not, do you see that as the as the way to get to way to change the police force? Like, is that going to be your means? The, like we have, like there's, yeah, like, that, there's, that, a, there's decades, there are decades and decades and decades and decades of black people sitting in an office with, 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 with people of their oppressors and being like, please do better. Like literally, like decades. There's so many every institution that exists. Like there's, you know, all of these form formalities. And some people want to go that route. Yeah, dope. Do it. Whatever. I'm done doing that. My dad was also really political and also an activist, and he went that route and to a certain point <laughs> before he started doing what I did and got, started going to the streets. And so for for, for me, I'm like, but there's so many people before me who have done this, like, and, and so many people who have done protests and, and, and gotten somewhere, right? And I'm like, this isn't the route for me. The protest route is the route for me because mm -hmm. I feel like I'm not going to give you a, cho a choice as to whether or not you're going to listen to my voice. You're going to listen to my voice. And then, yeah, yo, so here's the thing. I see, like, protests. Like, yeah, there's, there's this buildup of, like... Um, it's not being listened to, not being heard, and then people protest, and after it dies down, and what are the plans after the protest? Like, what needs to be implemented after the protest so you really see the change that you want to see? Yeah, and something and, that we, we also know is uh -huh. respectability politics doesn't work. 
right? It doesn't matter if you're wearing a suit. It doesn't matter if you make a million dollars. It doesn't matter if you're the fucking president of the United States. They're still going to question your legitimacy. They're still going to question where you came from. Everything from was he born here to is he with them? It doesn't matter where you make it to, right? Everybody falls under this umbrella of blackness. And they're affected by it in different ways. But it comes from the same place, right? And that is what racism is. The literal inescapable nature of a system that you couldn't get away from no matter how successful or least successful you are. It doesn't matter if you're a dude on the street that dropped out in grade seven, that's been homeless since you were 14. It doesn't matter if you're the president of the United States of America, right? You are equally affected by this system in a different way, but you're still affected by it, right? Mm -hmm. So respectability politics does not work. You have to force the conversation. Uh We're at a place where we have to force the conversation. People like Black Lives Matter Toronto, the type, or the group that they represent, they've noticed this, mm. right? We are children of men and women that went out there and protested. They're the children of men and women that went out there and protested. Mm. They're the children of men and women that went out there and protested. Mm. We now realize that, yo, these are things that we have to force, mm. right? And it, it just really comes down to that. There's no other way to appeal to people, mm. to appeal to their greater interests. You have to force the conversation. That's the only way so to So then what happens, like, after that? Because you just said, like... Through generations, like protesting has been happening, like over and over and over again. Like, what happened? What's what's after that? What's the next chapter? There are things that happen that, like, even like thinking personally, the process that we've done, there are progresses that have made, been made, but mm. it's not nearly as a sexy story as like a covering a protest. You mm. know what I mean? So, like, and that's that's again media. That's uh, again media. Entertainment. Right? And like we we specifically like after our protest last year and how major it got, we were like, the mayor needs to speak, not to us, the 10 of us, but to the black community. Right. And so he held a town hall. We were like, that's not good enough. Uh-huh. And so what's happening now is that there's different meetings that are happening um, all across the city okay. with, with and it's like black led with black people mm. for it to come back to the mayor. You know what I mean? But that's mm. not something that you will hear covered in the ways that it is. There are steps that are happening. It's not happening nearly quick enough. It's not mm. happening as much as we want, but they are happening. Mm. And the fact that you guys forced a conversation with the premier of our pro- province mm-hmm. that is ridiculous you know how unprecedented that is a bunch of young black folk stood outside queen's park and forced our premier to come outside not only notice them but speak to them mm-hmm. publicly mm-hmm. that is unprecedented in canada yo that doesn't happen that is a step in the right direction that's a big step in the right direction a large step in the right direction and of course we can have these sort of internal conversations of better ways to do this or what's a but that's like a strategy inside, and that's something that the outside world or the sort of dominant force doesn't get to take part in. It doesn't get to negotiate around, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure these are, of course, conversations that you guys are having. Mm-hmm. What's the best strategy to do this? Mm-hmm. You guys have a fucking plan. Mm-hmm. You're not a bunch of, as, as some people may want to portray you guys, you guys are not a bunch of kids just sitting around with like, mm, let's do this today. Mm-hmm. Let's do, no. Mm-hmm. This is an co- organization committed to these ideas strategizing around the clock, coming up with the best way to fight against white supremacy, to fight against anti-blackness, and to fight against an institution that affects all of us equally. Mm-hmm. These aren't just a bunch of random kids just chilling, like doing whatever they want. Nah. And it's obviously working. We're seeing conversations started. We're seeing people, one, people so bothered by this sort of thing that they're showing us their true colors, who they really are, mm-hmm. right? And that's all that we can really hope for and expect. Because mm-hmm. I personally, I would rather know, I would rather know who a racist is. If somebody Yo. hates me for the way that I look, let me know. It's too relevant. Let's not play the secret <laughs> game. Let's not play the secret it's game of right passive now. aggression. And let's not play the secret game of like, you gave me a weird look. You make a weird comment. You say, are you really supposed to be here? Or 
Dude, do, do you go to this school? Are you in this? Are you in this classroom? No, let's not play that game. Yeah. If you don't like me for who I am, just say it. Let me know, yo, so we could just move past this. I rate that. I rate that. Yeah, I, I actually, I actually yo, rate it. I, I too. I, rate it. I would rather. Mm, no, I'm not gonna say that because that's pretty outrageous. But <laughs> I just want to know the way people feel, right? <laughs> like I, I don't rate you. No, like, like I don't rate you as the individual, but I rate it as in like you letting me know like you actually don't. Yeah, like I was gonna say like, would you rather? Would you rather sit, have a conversation with? Actually, nah, bro, because I was going to say, I'd just go extreme and be like, would you rather talk to a Klansman that will at least tell you everything that he hates about you? Yeah. Or would you talk with um, a school principal that has no. this sort of Klansman. deep internalized... Because it's not shit. I mean, neither, but if you had to choose, like, if you had to choose, like, the extremities, like, I'd rather talk to a Klansman because, like, nothing's sugarcoated. And it's just real. And there's at least a piece but of But I think, honestly, and that's the reasoning <laughs> that people voted for Trump. I swear to God. I know, it is. It, it is. People are like, it, it, he's openly racist, and I'm like... It's still bad because yeah. he's a, still a racist, you know? But it's like, I don't know. Like, for me, like, I don't rate the individual, but, like, you're just real for who you are. And it's like, I'd rather have you as... Yo, it's actually fucked up. <laughs> no, God, it's actually fucked up saying it. That's like, literally what people were feeling. Yo. And that's what I was at, like, with the election. Because I was like, I hate Hillary, I it's hate so Trump. It's fucked up. Yo. She's going to kill me slower. He's going to kill me right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah, you know. And this is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. 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 And some people and just same. wanted the wolf. Um, yeah, so, yo, we got... Yeah, shouts to Malcolm. I stole that from him, so... Um, <laughs> so, yo, we got, we got about... We got, like, three minutes left. We got... Shit got pretty late right there. Yeah. There's, the, yo, there's like a whole nother side of this conversation that I want to have. Um, but yeah, basically just to end things up. Do you have like a last question you want to ask? You've been sitting there pretty um, No, I think that just a good place to end it would be moving forward with, with Black Lives Matter. What are your goals for the future? Um, just kind of for 2017. Like what's the, what's the big goal for 2017? Black liberation. <laughs> a world where we are all free. That's it. <laughs> and however that comes. That's a perfect way to end that conversation. Wonderful conversation. Absolutely beautiful conversation. I want to thank Pascal for coming through. Hopefully she can be an active member of these sort of conversations because that was fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, shout to my guy Juice for coming back again. My co-host Luke. Great conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, and yeah, that's episode four. Look forward to more of the same. Um, we'll be back next week. Thank you. Peace.